listening to Inside the Wire with Ray and Josh. They'll never take me alive. Hello and welcome back to Inside the Wire. Here with me as always, my good buddy and co-host, Trey Kessler. Today we have a very special guest, but before we begin, I want to remind everybody to tune in on Spotify and follow us on Instagram at ITW underscore podcast. Thanks, Josh. You know, guys, we're really working on the podcast. We just want you to know that we're incredibly grateful. We are we are so thankful that you guys are still listening, still paying attention. We're going to be pushing out content roughly once every two weeks or so. That's what we're shooting for. It might vary just a little bit, but thanks again for coming back, uh, for joining us inside the wire. And, and today we do have a special guest. Uh, it's really exciting to have someone here and to be able to speak with them. And that's only going to be possible if we continue to share this message. So if you guys have something to add to the conversation, please reach out to us at contact us at inside the wire podcast.com and We'll talk to you. We'll get you on the podcast. We'll see what you have to say. If you have a resource that you'd like to share with the veteran community, then that by all means is something that we can do. Uh, That's probably the thing that we encourage the most around here is getting resources up. Josh, go ahead and take it away. We're hoping to to, to keep delivering. Back to our special guest, Miss Jennifer Dowdy. Thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to come in and uh, to have a conversation with us. Of course, thank you for having me. And thank you, um, Trey, that was so nice that you guys were able to say thank you and all the constructive criticism is gonna be super helpful, I'm sure. Yeah, Jennifer um, has some experience uh, in the military world as well. Um, and her, her experience in the military world, uh, in my opinion, is uh, more an adventure sometimes than what us active duty guys go through uh, or troops in general go through in the military. Uh, Jennifer has been a military spouse of eight years, married to a uh, active duty Navy sailor who served 20 years for this great country. And uh, we thank him for his service. Uh, she's also, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, uh, pursuing your bachelor's degree in psychology with an emphasis in veterans crisis. Yes, absolutely. Awesome. And then you're also pursuing a uh, certificate to help troops out. Yes. Um, so yeah, thank you for that introduction. Um, so yes, I have uh, the hardest job in the Navy and I have a bumper sticker to prove it. Uh, but being a military spouse is a little bit challenging. Um, my husband and I have been together, as um, Josh had mentioned, eight years. He just recently retired from the military. Um, and I am, after all this adventure and after going through um, being an ombudsman for his command, which is basically an ombudsman, is to support them and the spouses and the children and everybody while they're on deployment, I realized that there is not a lot of support out there. And when they come back from uh, deployments, there's a lot of family issues, a lot of disconnect. And so I wanted to go back to school to really help the veterans transition and you know, adapt to the civilian world when they're not on deployment and when they do get out of the military. And that is what the certificate program that I'm attending is all about. It's actually through the uh, Tyranny Tyranny, Center in uh, Tustin. And it's basically ran by the state of California where you get to be certified as a peer support specialist for veterans. And it's really for anybody, but I know that they do uh, focus on the veterans and it's helping them get out and transitioning into civilian life and supporting them. 
and we found out that there are a lot of veterans who need that support. So that's why I did the program and uh, it's actually a six months program and it's I'm on my fourth week so I'm still mm-hmm. fairly new on it. What was life like as a spouse? Because um, I, I think that's a very important question to ask um, and I don't think you guys get asked that enough. Um, me as a married man, my wife and I were still married while I was on active duty and uh, you guys, in my opinion, seeing what you, what she went through and hearing your story uh, that we kind of talked about before this, this, this episode, you guys don't get enough, you know, credit than the soldiers do, the troops do, the Marines, the sailors. Um, so that's why I'm super excited for this episode because I want you to be able to, to share your story as a spouse, you know, so that the other spouse's stories can get out uh, that can read. I think it's super important for uh, people to hear. Yeah, thank you for that. Um, it is. It's a very difficult. Sometimes it's, you know, you feel like you're a single parent or maybe even just a single person. I know that with uh, us raising our kids and my husband being on several deployments, uh, he could be gone as much as you know, nine months to a year. So we're in charge of holding down the house, paying the bills, making sure that, you know, everything that we would run together gets ran uh, by ourselves. And sometimes that can be overwhelming. And then a lot of times we don't have the support system, especially if we're not living on the base or we're not in um, the command area. So for myself, we didn't live on base. And so I was kind of, you know, living in an outside neighborhood on my own. And so it took some time to, you know, depend on others. And so that's how I got connected. I said, you know what, I really want to feel more connected to the command and support my husband and those that are serving. And so that's why I became the ombudsman, uh, which got me in touch with other spouses. And so we were able to support each other. And uh, basically, you know, if someone didn't have someone to watch their kids or a family emergency or someone couldn't pay their electric bill or they couldn't get food, uh, we came together. We rallied together to help each other out and support each other. And but uh, in the course of our deployments, um, we went from having a major leak in the house to a major remodel to, you know, kids having their issues. And so uh, you're supporting that by yourself and you're hoping for my husband's particular situation. When you're at sea, you don't always have the best reception. You can't always make phone calls. You're not, uh, you know, at a command station. So that got to be a little bit challenging. Uh, emails became our best friend. Really? <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, there was, uh, I could just create a whole episode just on that alone, but I don't want to take all the time on just that. <laughs> oh yeah. Wow. I couldn't even imagine having to wait for time in between satellites to actually get a good connection. That's crazy. So one question that I uh, I do have for you after looking at your background, it, it it seems like you've done a lot of things for the community and for other people. Which program do you think that you've been a part of has actually uh, affected the most people in your community? Um, yeah, that's a great question. Um, I would have to say the ombudsman for now. I mean, I'm obviously going through the tyranny um, support, and I believe that that's probably going to be the most impactful. And I'm looking forward to that. But I would say the ombudsman position just because that got me in touch with everybody on that command. Um, there were a lot. Um, I would receive some calls with somebody who was going through a divorce. Somebody, you know, um, had maybe, you know, an affair while they were on deployment and maybe the sailor found out 
out about it. And then the sailor or the wife are calling me and they're in a crisis. So, you know, you're having to support them at the same time of keeping, you know, we're mandated reporters, but we have to keep things, you know, um, not secret, but, you know, we need to keep them under wraps and try to support them. And you have to know when you have to reach out to the command. So I think you play a dual role that is really supportive. You have to really be there for the spouse and the family and the children. But at the same time, you have to also be there for the sailor because, you know, they're away and they're not sure what's going on. And if something has to be reported, then you have to report it up to the chain of command. And that can be tricky too. So there's a lot of impact that can be done being the ombudsman. Now, with someone potentially listening, if they wanted to Maybe a military spouse is listening to this right now and is thinking, I didn't know about that. I didn't know I can connect with my husband's command or wife's command like that. What is something, and I know this is Mm -hmm. uh, specifically for the Navy, but what kind of steps did you take or how did you hear about the program like this? Is this something that you know, all spouses can get into regardless of the branch of the branch. Yeah. So every um, branch of the military has an ombudsman. Everybody has an ombudsman. Even your local hospital has an ombudsman. And when we got, my husband got transitioned to another um, command, I asked, how can I, how can I support you guys? How can I help you? I really want to be involved. And the captain just happened to say, you know, that's great timing. Our ombudsman just you know, did a change of um, locations or overseas and we know, you know, they changed the command, you know, how would you like to do that? And I was like, wow, um, sure. What is that? And then actually um, the military, the Navy sent me to a two day course, uh, in depth course on how to be an ombudsman, all the resources you have to know, all the, um, you know, American Red Cross, having the connections there if someone needs to have money wired. Um, but anyone, you can go to your command, you can go to your husband and you can say to to them, hey, I would really like to be connected. Is there an ombudsman opening? And if not, then you can put it on your list for the next command. So yeah, I mean, that's basically, and uh, also to add, if your command has FRG, you can contact them and you can get connected in that way as well. And there's usually a website. Hey guys, Ray from the future coming at you here real quick with some editing magic. We had a bit of a technical problem with her connection, and at one point we actually lost them. So from here on, the podcast will pick up from where we reestablished connection, and we got back on track for the conversation. Thanks for being patient, guys. So basically what I was just wrapping up was that if you're interested in doing the ombudsman position, you just want to reach out to your local FRG. That's the family resource group and get connected with um, some of the spouses that are already, maybe they've already done the ombudsman position um, and then they can share it. And also the website, check your command website. There may be an opening or a posting or even a contact number for that. Awesome. Now, you also mentioned earlier, um, and I kind of mentioned it in the in the beginning of the podcast. Uh, what what uh, and you said it's in Tustin, California. What uh, the tyranny the tyranny center? center. Okay. What what is that program? What is it about? And how long is the program? Are you, you're still currently enrolled or? Yeah, so it's a, um, you know, like a 16-week, you know, semester program. We started four weeks ago, so beginning, end of August, and it runs through December 17th. So it's kind of like, you know, the same amount of time that a junior college class would be. We meet um, every Saturday uh, from 10 to 3. So if you're meeting on a Saturday from 10 to 3, you better want to make sure you're going to do this (laughs) opportunity. It's taking your Saturdays. So with that being said, um, we take our Saturdays and we basically are... uh, you know, 
training to become a peer support specialist. So we're basically learning about the different commands, uh, what the military, um, the active duty go through, what are their veterans struggling with? What are the resources that they need? What kind of support do they need? Um, so that's kind of what we're learning. And basically, believe it or not, the class is made up of veterans. Um, a lot of them are um just recent veterans, some of them been out for a while and maybe they're doing another position and they realize that, you know, they even knew somebody who struggled. Um, we do, you know, obviously support those that are in crisis, um, suicide prevention, uh, you know, things like that. So we're learning a lot of information, but um, yeah, anybody can, you know, volunteer to be that. You would just go on the Charity Center website and um, check it out. I personally learned the program through the junior college that I'm attending. I actually received a website uh, email asking if I, any students would be interested. So they do reach out to the colleges as well. And uh, which college is that? El Camino? El Camino Community College. Okay. Well, if you're going to El Camino, now you know. Yeah. Awesome. Well, hey, Jen, I did have a question for you. So I know that my wife was a part of the FRG, and she always had great insight as to what was going to be going on in the short run. What do you think was the biggest benefit that you had from being involved with the unit like that? Yeah, so um, a short but long story to that answer, <laughs> that question, but my situation was unique and I'll go into that in a second. But to answer your question, the FRG is a huge support because if you're assigned to a command, um, they have pre-deployment meetings, post-deployment meetings, they have a support group during deployment. So uh, you will move with that command. So a lot of people get stationed and move to the same station. And so they become best friends and they move from one command to the other and they kind of become lifelong friends right um, I'm sure you guys have stories of spouses and your wives that are still friends even though you may not be in the command so um, but my situation was a little bit unique because my husband and I dated uh, you know and I'm gonna date myself here literally in 2004 to 2007 and we actually um, were interested in you know getting married and settling down but he got transferred to Japan and at the time I was a single mom um, of three boys and it was really important for me not to disrupt their lives and so I had to make a choice I couldn't you know get up and, and move and go to Japan and you know um, the cost wasn't covered because we weren't married it was just someone he was dating so that was a huge factor and so I had to stay behind and uh, you know I became geographically undesirable as they say these days right so <laughs> yeah <laughs> it was Right. It's really hard to have a long distance relationship when you're in like five different time zones. So we, um, yeah, we just decided to stay friends. And for 10 years, he moved, um, he was, you know, went to Great Lakes and he moved to Japan and went to the Philippines and everywhere else. And so when he came back in 2013 to San Diego, he called me up and the rest is history. Wow. And I can imagine, and I can imagine going back to the FG, uh, FRG stuff. Um, because my my wife and I attended pretty much every FRG meeting in the military, and even though it's supposed to be non-mandatory, usually it is mandatory. So uh, sometimes we were forced to go, but like Trey said, there is some important information and and and, and time missions and and kind of almost like like Kester said, they lay out the entire mission uh, for you, and we, we sometimes hear things that <laughs> we don't, usually don't hear at work. But going back to the Japan thing. 
uh, I can only imagine being like a spouse in your position or, you know, it doesn't matter if you're a wife, a husband, kids, no kids, like moving out of the United States into Japan. And in your case, having three boys and uh, who were born in the United States and, and uh, probably very young at the time. And, and then, you know, you pick up your bag, pack your bags and you go to Japan. Mm-hmm. So I can, I, I can imagine that's extremely hard for any married couple. Yeah, um, it is. And one of the things that we did face um, after we were married, actually, was one of our, um, you know, at the time, if you're married and you had to make a chain uh, command, we're married at that time. And I had every reason I could, you know, pull my kids out of school and, you know, say, hey, listen, you know, we're going to Japan. This is what we're doing. But I also looked at the best interest after being an ombudsman. The best interest was, you know, we had... um, a child who was going through some speech therapy and some other stuff and needed that support. And in Japan, they actually didn't provide that support for him educationally wise. And so that was one of the reasons why um, I wasn't able to go. And the command was obviously um, looking at that as well. And my son became a special category within the military and therefore his orders were changed and he didn't have to go to Japan. But that's super hard and super rare. And a lot of families don't know the resources and how to navigate that. And so they just pick up and they take off and they go to Japan and they hope that their child's educational resources are just as good. And a lot of times they find out they're not. Um, and it's a detriment to the child because sometimes it puts them behind. Yeah, and real quick here, for the guys that are in the military, if this situation sounds like you, if you think that you have a child or a family member that would fall under this category, you need to bring that up to your command, first of all. Take it through the chain of command. Mention it to your team leader. Go from there. Because there are options. There are limitations that can get put into place so that you know your duty stations can be a little bit more family friendly part of that is because they have to guarantee that your child or that family member will get the care that they need now that care might not be necessarily available on every base there might not be a specialist available at every post so what if you get enrolled with your unit and you get your special individual enrolled with that, they will become a specific kind of dependent and you know you don't have to pick up and leave if you you don't have to get up and, and move to Japan as you're saying here. you know those kinds of things can be put in place to help you out. Absolutely. Um, Yeah, it would be called an exceptional family member. You would want to um, basically um, your support team that is on your base, you would get with them and they would help you create that care plan. And if your child has an IEP, which is an uh, independent educational plan through the school district, or maybe they just have some what are called 504 plans, which are some special accommodations, those things do count. And if the command duty station that they're about to go to does not have those um, things in place well then as you said that will limit it and give you um something you know the care plan is is basically your documentation to say i can't go at that point yeah and what sucks is and i'll I'll speak on my experience alone i can't talk for trey because you know he's married with his family i'm married to my family um but in my mind or my experience the frg meetings were very limited and for example setting up that family care plan um i can at least say my wife you know has never heard of it and honestly this is like probably the first or second time i've heard of it so the issue that i have and it's kind of why we started this podcast is to get people like you to put out this information and to me 
you know, I don't think the military or at least the army, and it could just be categories down to the my unit, uh, didn't push that information out enough. And there were some times where, you know, when my firstborn was, uh, my first daughter was born, you know, there were some complications that I needed to be home for, and I didn't have a family care uh, plan set. So when I deployed, you know, I had to go to Syria for nine months, and my wife had to deal with that alone. So I, th- I think that's super important for people to understand. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know, I mean, looking at hindsight, right now is twenty twenty. You can look back and say that the military wants needs the manpower they need you to go to that command they're not going to share that information to make it super easy and it's nothing to say that it's negative but and and also too a lot of people who are just coming into the military are young and they haven't had a couple duty tours right and so they don't know this information so you want to reach out to maybe the captain or you know whatever the uh, chain of command is reach out to their spouses they're the ones who have you know been through this for a while and if they haven't and they're going to direct you to the place that you can. And and the Family Resource Center, that's what they are. They're a resource center for families. So they, ha- you know, have to give you pretty much any resource you're asking for. That's what they're there for. So other than those local support networks that are going to be put in place by your command team and by people surrounding you in your unit, are there any programs or any services that you think deserve a shout out that maybe not everybody knows about that have some utility out there that, you know, these people have access to that they might not necessarily know about? Is there anything that you have to, to let us know about? Yeah, so the one I always put out there is the American Red Cross. I know that people aren't aware of it, but active duty military, if for some reason they're in a crisis or a deployment and a spouse is electric or maybe they had a car repair, um, if you're active duty, no questions asked, you can apply for a $500 relief. That is something that can at least, um, is a huge resource. I know I've used it in the past and it's good for any military family. And then of course, you know, I want to shout out the Tyranny Center that I'm going to. They've been a huge support um, for the veterans and you know every Saturday I go I'm so motivated when I leave there to just like I want to be done I want to support you know my veterans now but um that and um the 988 number for the state of California is a suicide prevention yeah, yeah line. it's uh 988 and then you dial one and it'll yeah. connect you to a uh the veteran crisis line exactly yeah super important to know if you know a veteran that's hurt and needs help get him the help I've done it you know so um, now, if a, a soldier comes off active duty um, and becomes a veteran and reaches out to you or it gets connected to, uh, with you through the, the, the uh, program that you're, you're, you're attending, uh, what kind of resources will that veteran have access to through you? Uh, oh, that's a great question, too, because um, a lot of them are, when they get out of the military, they go through what's called, um, I, you know, identity disorder. They're just like, okay, you know, what do I do now? Um, how does my MOS transfer into a civilian job? So there are people through the Tyranny Center that are qualified to help you f- just basic, take a um, vocational assessment test, right? Figure out what am I good at? What am I not good at? What do I want to do for a career? Um, if it's housing, if it's... Um, you know, just how do I pay my bills? In my command, I lived at the, you know, barracks and they paid everything. I don't even know how to pay an electric bill. There's somebody who will walk you through that. And a lot of people don't understand 
Um, you know, the military, I mean, it's a culture, right? It's a way of life. And when you come out of it and to be a civilian, it's a different way of life. And so that's what the peer support and you know, everybody out there who's supporting veterans, um, any program is there to get you the foundation and the very beginning skills that you need to be successful in the civilian world personally and professionally. Yeah, and you know us veterans can be a little bit hard-headed when it comes to what we want to do. So guys, just listen to what she's saying. Utilize any opportunity that comes your way. Go get connected with the VA. Make sure you have your benefits lined up squared away make sure that your family's squared away take advantage of the programs that are there to help you transition you know transitioning out of the military is probably one of the hardest things you're going to do as a part of your military career you just don't know it yet and you know if you're already out and you feel better about it you know you should already know it's a very difficult process for some and for others it's As a way to maximize the amount of tools that you can fit into your toolbox, go ahead and just hit that subscribe button to Inside the Wire podcast because it's honestly the easiest thing that you can do to expand your access to resources. Plus, we might occasionally post some good memes over there on our Instagram page. Go ahead, Josh. Give us a shout out there. Uh, Follow us on Instagram. Don't be afraid to DM us, message us. If you have a question, if you know a veteran or you know someone, another spouse that would like to get their story out there, uh, maybe they're doing something for a nonprofit and want to give a shout out, please let us know. We'll work with you. Uh, And thanks again for tuning in. Jennifer, thank you. Yeah, thank you. I just want to say that, you know, I just mentioned that the military has its own little culture, but I believe so do these podcasts. So it sounds like you guys are doing a great job in kind of creating that new culture that it's okay not to be okay sometimes and that, you know, we can all band together to support each other so thank you for having me on and i really appreciate it it's been a pleasure jennifer thank you they'll never take me alone